Hi folks, thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. My guest today is Gabby Crafty. Gabby is a barrister at the Victorian Bar since November 2007, practicing in commercial litigation. But the real focus of the show today is the Jewish Professional Women's Network, which was started by Gabby and a group of friends around three years ago and now has almost 1,000 members on their Facebook group. The purpose of the network is to enable Jewish women who are actively pursuing their careers to build networks, educate themselves and share their stories. In today's episode, we get Gabby's view on female representation on boards and in the professions, and also her views on the gender pay grab. We also have a discussion about the recent high-profile cases of sexual harassment which have played out in the media, and why these have led to terrible outcomes. Finally, we talk about the role of men and how one can define feminism in different ways. In Ruben's rant, I talk about how big companies cripple small businesses by paying their bills late. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jay Air or on the podcast, this is a show where we give you insight into the world of business and finance and maybe give you some information to make better decisions. My name's Ruben Zoa. I'm a financial planner and owner of Adapt Wealth Management. I've been doing the podcast for about a year and a half now. So if you want to find previous episodes, just search The Finance Hour on iTunes or go to the Adapt Wealth website or indeed the JAIR website. So today on the show, we have Gabby Crafty, who is the president of the Jewish Professional Women's Network and a barrister. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, issues relevant to uh, women in the workforce. Uh, but before we do that, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is about an article in The Age yesterday, which talks about the growing problems of businesses not paying their bills. Uh, the ombudsman for small business said that they're going to name and shame companies, particularly big companies that don't pay small businesses. Uh, and the large multinationals seem to be the ones that are most at uh, fault here. They often delay paying from 30, 45, up to 120 days. And not paying small businesses leads to cash flow problems, which leads to insolvency, which leads to a ripple effect that they can't pay their suppliers, and it has a massive effect on the economy. Now, personally, I've never quite understood why you wouldn't pay someone after they've provided a service or a product, um, but it seems that that's really commonplace in the, in the industry, and particularly the big supermarkets like Coles and Woolworths have been the worst offenders about this. So it really seems to me that this is an area where big business exploits small business, and then it becomes a uh, cycle where small businesses then are unable to pay their suppliers, and it goes on and on. So I think it's really not good enough. Uh, the message from that is if someone gives you a product or service, make sure you pay them straight away. Okay, we're going to take a very quick break and then we will introduce Gabby. Okay, welcome back to the Finance Hour. We are talking today with Gabby Crafty, who is the president of the Jewish Professional Women's Network and a barrister who was admitted to the bar in 2007. Gabby, welcome to the show. Thanks, Reuben. Excellent. We're really glad to have you here today. So, Gabby, just on what I said before, you're a barrister. So, you, who do you get paid by? The solicitors? <laughs> you don't get paid directly by clients, do you? I get paid by solicitors. That's right. And uh, is there often difficulty in getting paid? Can be. Can be sometimes. Yeah. So, my contract is with the solicitor. They then have to source um, the fee from the client and then it gets paid to me and I can often wait long periods to get paid. <laughs> it's like okay. late So you know what I'm talking I, about. I do. So um, Gabby, can you just uh, give us a bit of background into your sort of professional career? And then I also want to ask you about sort of your experiences and, and this new uh, network that you set up, the the Jewish Professional Women's Network. So maybe start with a bit of background in, in your career. Sure. So I, I became a solicitor. Um, I did my articles in, it was I think it was 2002. And worked in the big firms. I did an associateship at the federal court with a, a judge. Um, and then uh, I went to the bar, became a barrister. So there's a difference mm -hmm. between solicitors and barristers. Yeah. 
barristers being the ones that you know you traditionally yeah. associate with going to court. So I've been yeah. doing that. Um, I did that. I went eleven years ago, and yeah. that's what I've been doing since. Yeah. And is bar- being a barrister is that more of a, a lonely sort of existence as opposed to working in a big firm? Um, I, I I never usually feel lonely. Um, I, I certainly don't have employees, and I'm not employed. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie at the bar. Um, I, I don't really miss being um, employed, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so you've been doing it for 11 years. Yeah, uh, I had a break in between, uh, sort of halfway through for a few years. Yeah, is that when you had uh, kids? Uh, yeah, so when I had my first, I yeah. I took a year off and, and didn't rush back to the bar. I actually took a three-day-a-week job in government in oh, policy. Right. Yeah, and then after a couple of years, I returned to the bar. Okay, and uh, and then with your second child, you did similar, or no? I no. Um, I I wound back my the number of cases I was doing. Mm-hmm. It was quite, actually quite a different experience. I yeah. I just wound back, and I I didn't actually stop completely, but I I sort of um, really reduced the amount that I was mm. doing, and then I ramped up again as she got older. Yeah, and so were there significant challenges in terms of taking those breaks and then coming back? Uh, into the well, you didn't leave completely, mm. but but was that challenging? Yeah, yes, it was. Um, I think first time around, I was really intimidated by the prospect of returning as mm. um, a parent, mm. uh, and second time around, I had a lot more confidence, and that really mm. that that was really informative. Um, it shaped my experience, so it was less difficult when I was more confident. Mm. If that makes sense, it, it yeah. wasn't as hard as I was expecting to ramp up again. But of course, by that stage, I think I had uh, I had more collateral behind me, and mm. and I, you know, I had more of a name at, yeah. in the profession. Yeah, and is uh, I mean, being self-employed like that, you, you're kind of more in control of of the work that you get and the pace that you work at. Is that the case, or is it, or are you sort of at the mercy of when you get work thrown at you? Oh, it's a bit of both because, as you would probably know, it's hard to say no when mm. work comes your way. Um, and, of course, once I'm immersed in a case, if things come up, once I'm briefed in that case, I, I really can't avoid saying no to things that come up within a case. Yeah. But I do have the power to say no if I'm um, at capacity or if I, say, want to take time off yeah. for school holidays or whatever the case may be. I do. So there's a lot of flexibility in that yeah. regard. Okay, so just uh, now just explain to me uh, sort of what experience or personal experiences led you to starting this network? Well, it's a, it's a great question because it, it started when I did have my second child um, and I started back at the bar. I read Cheryl Sandberg's book, Lean mm-hmm. In. She's, um, she's at, I think she's at Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read her book about, leaning in, women leaning into their careers. Mm. And, and I was, it was so motivational. But the whole time I was reading the book, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if this woman makes her own chicken soup. Mm. Because, um, you know, she's full throttle on her career, mm. but does she also, she's a Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. Does she also um, lean into, you know, her traditional role as a, mm. um, you know, you know, a traditional Jewish role mm-hmm. as well. And I, I wanted to talk about it with other Jewish women. Mm-hmm. So what stage was this? Was this a, a, like a... So this was in 2015. Yeah, okay. um, And I had had... No, actually, I hadn't had my second, I lie. Mm-hmm. It was before, just before I had my second child. Mm-hmm. But I'd read her book and I was... I, I felt like I was back at the bar and I was I was sort of, you know, really getting back into my career. Yeah. And But, but it... And it's and I had lots of women around me who I could talk to about working, but I also wanted to talk to other women who had, I suppose, that cultural overlay mm. in their lives who did want to, um, you know, who who were proud of their cultural background or mm. their religious background, and I wanted to talk to other women. So I got a, a, just a really small group of women together for lunch mm-hmm. at um, at my chambers, and we had lunch, and then we decided we wanted to do it again. Mm-hmm. And this time, different people came, and then we did it again. And then someone said, "Let's have drinks one night," mm-hmm. and more people came. And then we started sharing um, newspaper articles mm-hmm. by email, mm-hmm. and then it started getting a bit unwieldy. And someone said, "Why don't you start a Facebook mm-hmm. group so we can yeah. post these things?" And yeah. three years on, we've got we're just shy of a thousand members. Wow! So it's been going for three years. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. We so we set the Facebook group up early 2016 mm. and yeah. so what's the um 
So what's the main purpose of the group? Um, the So it's got a few purposes. One is to provide a forum, I suppose, for Jewish women who mm. are... Um, or who want to be driving their careers, so yeah. uh, either who are or who want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so we share information, we share ideas, we build professional networks, we um, we develop professional capability and skills, mm-hmm. we discuss topical issues, yeah. and, and we socialise as well. But we also yeah. um, encourage and empower Jewish women, I think, to pursue their careers, and we try and promote... Um, the professional achievements of Jewish mm, women, mm-hmm. and I mean, obviously, this is a, a like a largely women's only group. But I suppose are there two ways that you make an impact? One is through these sort of groups, and the other is through joining sort of other groups as well, like that have got sort of males and females. Is this how do they sort of interact? Is this very much trying to support that as well? Do you know what? I hadn't given mm. that second mm. idea a great deal of thought mm. and my, my mind's ticking away yeah. as you're saying these yeah. things. I suppose we're still we're still quite embryonic, so we just formed a board. Mm. We just incorporated, uh, it must be only like six to eight weeks mm-hmm. ago, um, and, we've, and we've got a, our first board mm-hmm. and we are trying to, I suppose, put some structure around all our yeah. thinking. Um, how we interact with other groups within mm. in the community. I suppose we've started doing that. So we've started yeah. um, having conversations with National Council of Jewish Women. Yeah. Um, but but not beyond that. But uh, I'm I'm very open 100%. to that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I want to move on to now probably what a, one of the hot topics are is representations on on boards. Mm. Uh, and I know that's sort of something that you're that you're dealing with, particularly something around uh, when there are speaking panels making sure there was sort of some representation, female representation as well. So I want to ask you, um, there's probably two distinct things. Number one is female representation on boards, and the other thing is female representation on, say, in professions, right? And I want to know if there's sort of, if you see a difference in that. Because on one hand, on the boards, I, I guess you could say, well, any kind of board or organisation should have represent their constituents, right? So it makes sense for there to be a, you know, a split of of men and women, I can definitely see that. But what about, um, is there a distinction between that and say in professions? Let's say, for example, in an accounting firm where, I don't know, there's 95% male, 5% female, you know, is that is is that as big an issue? Are they, are they the same issues or are they different? Um, I think they're related issues. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I, I think back to when I did what was then known as an article clerkship, which is my first year out mm-hmm. of law school um, I remember in our you know within a f- the first few weeks we were welcomed and and we were told you know it's amazing you know more than 50 percent of graduates from law school mm. now are women and that means by the time you our cohort were um, were at partnership level that mm. would mean that um, you know 50 percent or more would be partners well mm. So that was in 2002 mm. and here we are in 2018 and we know mm. for a, we know that that mm. hasn't been borne out. Mm. Um, I do think it matters for the same reason. I, I, I don't know that, you know, necessarily mandating um, particular quotas in particular professions mm. is the way to go, but I do know that, that when you have diversity, mm. you are usually getting the best of the best. Another illustration of that is, um, you know, blind recruitment mm. and blind auditioning. So there are mm. orchestras now that will put literally put a panel mm. up or a wall behind which, um, you know, uh, re- you know the recruiters can't see, mm. and someone plays an instrument, and they're simply hired for their talent, mm. um, and no one knows whether it's a man or woman, someone who's Asian, someone who's black, white. Or any other mm. um, color, and and so some then so people have chosen just for their talent. Mm. Um, we do have unconscious biases, mm. and and when you have um, an educated population, and those numbers aren't being reflected in professions and mm. then on boards, it speaks to unconscious biases, or mm. even sometimes conscious biases, right. that are meaning that mm. women aren't being properly represented in numbers, both mm. in professions and at board level. Mm. So, uh, but obviously a part of that in the professional level as well is is obviously the issue of when um, women have taken, say, time off 
for right. for children, right? And so they may come back and uh, they're sort of a bit behind for a few years, right? In, in you know, and I do you think it's different for a female that's done that versus a male who said, let's say, taken two years off to travel the world um, and come back to their profession? Is it? Do you think it's different? No, I don't. Mm. I think if you take time off, you take time off. It shouldn't mm. matter what the reason is for mm. taking time off. No, I'm saying when they come back to the work, are they? Are they? Tr- would you think? that women are treated differently. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. But, I mean, I I can't speak for every workplace, but there are a lot of assumptions about what happens to a woman when she's birthed a child. Mm. Um, And a lot of of the time those assumptions are made not with any ill intent, Mm. but but assumptions are made. Mm. So um, I know in my own profession... There have been and there still are a lot of assumptions around the capacity of women to work hard mm. once they've got kids, mm. whereas the same assumption isn't necessarily made about male barristers mm. um, who have just had kids as well. Right. Right. Interesting. Okay. So then to so talking about that, so you don't necessarily think there should be hard quotas in the, in the profession, but you're saying that it's kind of, if there isn't some rep- more equal representation, it's reflective of, of biases? It can be. It can be, it yeah. Can be. yeah. Uh, but what about on boards, right? So let's say, I don't know, on on everything from, you know, the you know big public company boards to not-for-profits, how important uh, is it there? And, and, and in that case, should it be mandatory, you think? I'm increasingly in favour of um, quotas mm-hmm. and... Um, taking really proactive measures to recruit women. For bo- this is for boards. To boards, yeah. Um, there are a lot of very capable women out there, mm. but women are not amazing at putting themselves mm. forward. Mm. And so sometimes you've got to go on hard recruitment mm. drives to go and find the talent, mm. but it's there. Women aren't great at saying, you know what, that's something I could do. Mm. Um, I-, I would smash that. Mm. Um, and sometimes you've got to reach out to them and encourage mm. them to see that, yeah, that'd actually be fantastic mm. on a board. So you think it's because maybe lower levels of confidence? I think that's a contrib- I think it mm. can be a contributing factor. Mm. It's one of probably a few factors. So, yeah. so, so unconscious biases are not. It's not doesn't explain all of it. There's a mm. lot of there are a lot of reasons why we don't see. Um, proportionate mm. representation. Mm. I mean, women are fifty percent of the population. Right in the Jewish community in mm. Victoria and New South Wales, we know that women make up 52% of the population. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I mean, uh, an interesting one that's come up recently as well is in politics, right, in uh, in Wentworth when, you know, Malcolm Turnbull re- resigned and there was, you know, who they were putting up for the by-election and there was a big, um, you know, there was a debate whether it should be Dave Sharma or there was a female representative as well. And there will seem to be a lot of pressure um, for, you know, for, for to have the um, I can't remember what her name was, but to put her up as a liberal candidate. Um, and then, you know, they didn't obviously, and then they sort of felt that they had to justify it, or they were sort of questioned quite quite hard on it, saying that the you know, representation of females in in the Liberal Party is very very low. Uh, and then they came back and said, well, look, on this particular individual basis, you know, we were doing an assessment of, you know, of the merits of the particular person. And, you know, at the end of the day, we thought that Dave Sharma was the better candidate, right? So, you know, so, so it raises a question when it comes down to that kind of very individual case, right? You know, how how should it be assessed? I mean, if they made the assessment that he was the better candidate, but then you look on a global level and say, well, you've got a global problem in the Liberal Party, you know, how do you balance those two things? And it looks like they ended up balancing by by, by going with who they thought was the better candidate. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one, obviously. Mm. So, um, I, I, you know, sort of reluctant to comment on mm. um, what's going on in the Liberal federal Liberal Party. Mm. But, um, you know, I think... It's uncontroversial to say that the Liberal Party has um, what at least appears to be a bit of a problem. Mm. And, and if, if they're, to my mind anyway, if, if they're looking at ways to redress that, mm. um, you know, over a, a sort of a medium to long term, I, I think that's great. Mm. On an individual level, it, 
I, you know, Dave Sharma may well have been the best candidate for the for the job. I, mm. I can't comment mm. on that. Um, m- m- you know, a man should not lose out on a role simply mm. because he's a man, mm. and a woman shouldn't lose out on a role simply because she's a woman. The, right. the, the proposition applies equally, mm. but at, but at a more systemic level, an organisation like the Liberal Party clearly has to do some new thinking. Mm. Um, on a more strategic mm. level about how they come at this issue going forward. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and is that particularly the case because as a political party, you know, you should represent your constituency? Absolutely. Is that, is that, is that what, the, um, what, what the main reason is? Or? I think so. I mean, mm. as, as a starting proposition, as I say, women do make up... Few, we're, not talking about, we're not talking about a minority here. I think there's a... There's a sometimes we classify women... <laughs> And minorities in the one boat, and mm. and that's wrong. Women are not a minority; they mm. are half the population. Mm. And I'm quite happy to have a man represent me in mm. certain spheres, and um, that's fine. But it's not so much about that; it's about having diversity mm. um, and proper representation. Mm. Uh, I suppose at all levels and in all spheres. Yeah, and that actually is an interesting point the uh, the minority thing because. You know, to the extent that people will see discrimination, it's generally discrimination against minorities, really, isn't it? That's right. Um, so this is kind of quite different. I can't think of any other sphere where it's where you could say, well, there's a majority that you know is, is arguably being discriminated against. Like yeah. that's that's right. It's it, it, it's it's very different. It is different. Mm. It is different, yeah. and it and it it's not to say that um, the treatment of minorities doesn't no. doesn't warrant any um, you know consideration, but it is different. Mm. We are we are talking about a fairly sizable part of the mm. population. Yeah, and maybe that's to some extent why some people, I don't know, don't find it hard to to view it that way. Yeah, well, I think because often people don't look at it mm. through that lens. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and what about? Um, I mean, the other thing which we hear a lot about is um, is a pay gap. Yes. Between, um, you know, between men and women, and uh, I mean, is that something that you sort of, you sort of are passionate about, or that you've, you keep a close eye on? I'm or? still learning more about mm. these issues, both within my own profession and and more globally. I mean, yesterday the, um, the 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 authority for um, pay equity. It's a federal authority released new statistics. Mm, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, um, I'm still learning about this area, mm. but I, it, I, I find it, frankly, unfathomable mm. that a woman who does the same work as a man mm. should get paid less. It, is, it beggars belief in 2018. Yeah. But it, and it is, I still find it, I don't know, I, I, like in the big sort of professional firms, I and mean, when I started as a graduate in KPMG in 1998, there's no way there was any distinction between my pay and a, and a female. Not pay. at starting level, probably. Right. Although there, there, there have been lots of reported mm. cases of even at starting level a disparity. Is that right? Absolutely. But when does that when? But that disparity would that occur once women have taken time off for children? Is that often a or, or you think it would occur anyway? Um, I think it occurs anyway. Mm. So I think so often we react to discussions about pay equity um, along the lines of, well, women work part-time and they slow their careers mm. down and they, they they fall out and therefore they shouldn't get paid more. And I, I probably don't actually have a problem with that. Mm. Um, but stats are now showing that women and men who do the same job mm. and the same number of hours at the same level, that there's a disparity even mm. there. Mm. So that's problematic. Yeah. Because that talks that that says something else is going on and that circles back to what I was originally saying about unconscious biases. Mm. You know, the assumption that that men must be better. Mm. It may be it may, and this comes back to what you were saying, mm. on an in, in an individual instance that might be right. Mm. But when you've got um, consistent trends across an organisation or across a country even, bigger questions have to be asked. It is not the case that all men are better at everything mm. than all women. Mm. It's just not that, it's not that simple. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to move on now uh, to harassment, right? What are you... Um and I want to talk about some of the high-profile cases as well, which I think uh, you know seem to be coming up all the time. 
Um, but the Me Too movement, what do you think about that? Has that been a, a real positive or have there been negatives? Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, the Me Too movement has, it took me personally by surprise in, mm. in um, and was quite personally confrontational. So I remember picking up a fo- the phone and speaking to a friend and saying, it's just dawned on me that when this happened and when that happened and when this happened and when that happened, that they are actually instances of sexual harassment or sexual assault or sexual um, or, or, or something inappropriate. And so, sorry, was that reflecting back on your professional yeah, professional life? and also just, mm. you know, this mm. friend said to me, you know, think about, I think about the time when I was on a bus um, in Rome and a guy just slapped my bum. Mm. You know, I think a lot of us, at least, uh, uh, you know, people our age, have sort of chugged along, saying, "Oh, well, that's just how it is, mm, and mm. it's okay," or, or or whatever. That's just, you know, that's just the way things go. That you know, occasionally some random stranger will, mm. you know, grab you. But actually, what the Me Too movement said to me personally mm. is, "No, that's that's not okay." Mm. And I, it really, it shocked me because I don't think I myself had stood back from any of these things and said. It's not okay for people mm. to appropriate my body mm. in however they see fit. Mm. And these women in Hollywood um, really said enough is enough and we all need to stop mm. thinking about these things as acceptable. Mm. And did you, um, when you said you reflected on that, is that have you found um, you've had those instances in the, in the workforce? I like, have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as being a, a barrister? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Just amongst other colleagues and the like. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to talk a bit about the, uh, you know, the couple of high-profile cases, uh, which I think, um, you know, have been really, really problematic uh, for a few areas. Um, so, I mean, first of all, obviously, there's been some clearly, you know, th- there's been obviously there's a lot of unreported harassment, right? I think that that's that's pretty clear that that's um, that's occurred a lot uh, in these particular cases that have come up. You know, I think the way they've played out has been really problematic. Um, first, you've got Jeffrey Rush, right, which who's suing the the Daily Telegraph. So there was an actress who he worked with, Erin Norville, who made a complaint about him. It was an off-the-record complaint, and she specifically didn't want it to be a formal complaint, right? She, she decided that. Um, it was then sort of reported in the media that this was the case, uh, that, that, you know, she'd made a, a, a complaint about it. You know, he obviously didn't have any sort of process. And then the way for him to kind of, you know, fight against it or deny it was to go through the papers and do a defamation case, right? Which is really problematic. I mean, firstly, it's very problematic for her, I think, because at the end of the day, you know, she's obviously got every right to decide how to handle it in whatever way she wants, right? And she obviously decided for whatever reason not to make it formal. So got the treatment of it got taken completely out of her hands out of her control, yeah. as well as, um, you know, the way these things should be investigated. I mean, they, they've, they've got to be properly investigated, but they shouldn't be investigated in the public light, right? And basically what he's now brought on himself is this whole big, you know, public mm. court case court case about him. So I don't know, what's your view on that? I, I, I find that to be a really bad sort of process for both her and for and for him. It's It's, yeah, I mean, it's not satisfactory it's not ideal i think mm. is um probably the better way to describe it um it i i'm not i'm no expert on defamation and i'm, mm. I'm fortunately not an expert on sexual assault or sexual harassment um but when I, you know these are celebrities and mm. so they they have this added burden of whatever goes on in their private lives, including mm. you know the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Unfortunately, mm. gets played out in that right. way, and and same with you know some politicians. Mm. Um, it's not usual for um, these processes to be played out in the public arena. Mm. Celebrity does yes. attract that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. for example, if I were to make an allegation mm. um, or, or lodge a complaint, say, yeah. um, within my profession against mm. a particular individual and, and had a conciliation process and tried to work through it with the individual and mm. perhaps 
yeah. he or she were to apologise yeah. to me and then it would be resolved. I think it would be highly unlikely that that would be played out um, mm. publicly. Yeah, but, so it's, yeah. But, uh, there's a but, and, mm. and it's this. <clears throat> it's very, very difficult for women, anyone, sorry, anyone to come forward to say that they have been harassed by someone within their profession who is more senior than them mm. um, because the stigma that then um, that then that that is attracted to that person they mm. carry that stigma with them throughout their professional life right that's both the complainant and potentially also the respondent mm. also you might find that the complainant doesn't necessarily want to cause harm to the respondent. Mm. Um, so it's quite complex. So even even taking away the issue of celebrity and being played out in the public mm. arena, it's, you know, under-reporting, there's, there's a good reason for it. Mm. Some people just don't want to um, ha- carry that stigma for the rest of their professional lives. But is that something that you would encourage, like would you particularly try and encourage people to report? Um or- Yes, I mean absolutely, mm. but I'm. Mm. I say that I, the only reason I hesitate is because I'm. I'm really cognizant mm. of how thorny it is and mm. how how complicated it is, and I have a lot of sympathy mm. for um, individuals who have experienced that, who who just don't know really what the best way to handle mm. it is. It's 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 so yeah. complicated. So you're saying that so this this sort of case. I mean, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. This is like, um, yeah, this isn't symptom. Well. The fact that the way the way it's been handled, right, in the public and without any kind of real process, you know, proper process is not symptomatic of generally the way it's handled. You're saying generally it's, you know, it would be handled discreetly and handled well and there would be, you know, communication and the like. I, I mean, I think in an ideal world things would be handled, mm. um, you know, th- that organisations, for example, have processes in place mm. and... And um, and strategies uh, most don't, and mm. and even even where there are good strategies and systems in place for dealing with complaints, there is still that that inevitable mm. reluctance to make a complaint. Mm. Um, uh, you know, due and proper process should be afforded to mm. to anyone against whom a complaint is made. Mm. Um, but I think even where there are good processes in place, reluctance will always. Mm. Um, be a major factor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the, look, the other case was I was going to talk about, which is, which is a bit similar, is the uh, Luke Foley in the um, you know the opposition leader of New South Wales. That you know there was a the allegation made against him, which was you know pretty troubling to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Uh, and then you know there were there were rumours around, you know, which is actually an interesting interesting thing in itself that apparently you know it came out clear that there were rumours. Rumours around the the hallways or whatever that this had occurred yeah. over a period of time, yeah. um, and then then it came to a head in Parliament where you know one of the MPs basically kind of you know accused him of of, of it, mm. and it was under parliamentary privilege, which I don't fully understand. But you know, so once again, it was just a horrible um, thing. Once again, the journalist who was you know who was um, uh, you know the victim. Uh, you know, once again, she she didn't want it to become public. Yeah. And once again, you know, it became completely out of her hands, and it was basically done on a um, you know, for political point scoring. Yeah. You know, that, that's once again, it's just it's just a horrific outcome. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. These are two mm. really interesting um scenarios, and and they unfortunately what they do is they say to people who have been sexually assaulted. This is what will happen to you mm. if you make a complaint, mm. and so it reinforces for those individuals that they're better off being quiet. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I agree. There's a level of, um, um, you know, it's, it, it, there's a level of sort of um, not idealness, for want of mm. a better word, about these things. But they have flow-on effects for mm. for even scenarios where you know celebrity or high, being you know a public figure. Um, th- th- where those issues aren't in play, right? So, love flow and effect for how people, yeah, will will um, yeah, will do it. Yeah. yeah, it does yeah. lead to people just clamping, clamping up. Mm. So, um, 
But how do you? So then, how do you encourage people to come forward? Yeah, it's really hard. Mm. I don't know. Look, this is it's interesting. So, for example, in the Jewish Professional Women's Network, we haven't really canvassed these issues, mm. um, and I've only just started thinking about these things on a personal level mm. since Me Too blew up. As I mm. say, I really hadn't given these things a great mm. deal of thought. But obviously, I mean, for me, as I say, for me, for me, the Me Too movement has been sort of like a, a light bulb moment. Mm. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have real answers and um, I think it's a vexed issue mm. that needs a lot more thought. The other interesting thing about this one as well was there was apparently an, an eyewitness there, right, who, yeah. who saw it, right? And then you've also got the issue of everyone was, seems like they were talking about it like that. But that person who was an eyewitness, he doesn't, he can't actually, can, can that person make the complaint? I don't know. I yeah. took, I mean, I certainly, um, I, I don't, I, it, I mean, it depends what we're talking about. It depends mm. if we're talking about from a, a criminal law perspective or mm. if we're talking about, a, you know, at an organisational level. Mm. Um, some organisations have complaint or grievance mechanisms where anyone can make a, a, a complaint. Some yeah. organisations don't. Mm. Some are really thoughtful and creative in the way that they deal with complaints. But, I, yeah, I would have thought if if you see someone else being harassed in whatever way that is, you know, maybe on religious grounds or sexual sexual grounds or whatever, I mean, I would have thought that, you know, you'd almost have a duty to kind of, well, maybe not a duty. And, and this wasn't, they weren't exactly in the same kind of workplace, yeah. right? They don't work for the same employer. Um, they but, don't work for the same employer mm, in that example. Mm. And also there's a huge power disparity as well. Mm. The other issue is, you know, there, there was an eyewitness. The, the person who actually was on the receiving end well, we know she didn't want anything, mm. you know, put into the public arena and mm. ultimately it was. Mm. So, you know, there's also a question of respecting the victim's That's right. wishes. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and the other thing was is, you know, the fact that this was kind of like these rumours were going around about it, do you know what I mean? And what, what you know, and the way it came to a head was, it was you know, an accusation in, in Parliament. Yeah. But should it have... You know, should it have um, been addressed before that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, mm. I, as I say, it's very difficult for me to comment. But, but you know, these kinds of things are sort of ripe for more restorative justice type approaches mm. rather than, as you say, political point scoring. Mm. Um, and you know, there may have been good intentions. I don't know. Mm. There may have been quite nefarious intentions, mm. but. At the end of the day, it's caused a lot of harm to a lot of people, including the victim herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one has to question the wisdom of, of the, that politician making the accusation in Parliament under the cover of parliamentary mm. privilege. Yeah. It, it just may not have helped anyone involved and it may not have helped anyone get to um, a point of healing. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I mean, as I said, but then there's, you know, there are other issues around public accountability and the role mm. of politicians and, you know, should they be called out for, you know, slipping their hand down the back of a dress mm. of a journalist. I mean, uh, there's a lot of, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to just uh, uh, move on a bit and talking about the uh, the role of men yes. uh, in this. And it's funny, I had a, uh, I was a while ago with Karen, you know, she said to me once, you know, are you a feminist? Yeah. You know, and I said, oh, I don't think I am. I said, I, I fully empathise and I support you in whatever you do, but, but it's not my story. Right, mm. and uh, that, that's how I felt. The now, now, as my daughter gets older, I guess it, you know maybe I feel like it becomes, you know, more my story. But the question is, is do you, you know, do you expect men for the, for this to be their story, as well? Such a good question. <laughs> um, I, I, my personal philosophy is that you you cannot you cannot talk about feminism without bringing men into the conversation. Mm. Um, my late father used to describe himself as a feminist. Mm. Um, and so I always, it, it never occurred to me that men couldn't be feminists. Mm. I mean, if you believe that you should not be, um, you know, if you, if you believe in equality, mm. <laughs> you, well, you can rightly yeah. describe yourself as a feminist. I, I guess it depends on how you define it as well. Yeah. I guess, you know, I, of course I certainly believe in equality. Like there's no question about it. But I guess the way, you know, when I hear the word feminist, I think, are you working hard to advance the role, you know, advance mm. women? Do you know what I mean? And, and can I actually say that I am 
kind of out there doing that like you know what you're doing or what you know my wife Karen's doing like mm. I couldn't say that I'm out there doing that so so that so is so your notion of feminism I, is more I, like maybe. activism yes right. yes maybe that maybe that's I, I think that's mm, a completely mm, um, rational definition of mm, feminism but um you can, I, th- I think you can be a feminist without being an activist right. um and and if you just basically believe in you know right, g- right. general notions of fairness yeah, okay. and, and, and equality yeah. you can you can rightly call yourself mm. a feminist i don't think everyone has to be out there sort of you know yeah flying the flag yeah. but um it doesn't if you're not flying the flag it doesn't make you someone who's not a feminist if right. that makes sense you, right i yeah. guess it depends on how you um identify. so you said your dad was a feminist so he described himself as yeah a he described himself yeah. yeah but he did he very much he 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 really there were no barriers in his mind about what mm. what I could do or what my sister could do. And yeah. we weren't, you know, he didn't have a notion that we would sort of get married and then pull right back. Mm. And and I think that there is um, still, even at a very sort of subliminal level, there is messaging within certain cultural communities that that mm. is sort of what one does when mm. one gets married and then pulls right back. From the workforce. Yeah. Particularly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And from ambition yeah. and mm. drive and things mm. like that. So yeah, so going back to the role of men. So what um, you know, what what role? What role do men um, should play? Yeah. So mm. um, one of the w- most wonderful things about the last few years in the wider community has been seeing um, movements evolve, like male champions of change. And I'd mm. encourage you and all your listeners to mm. jump online and, and Google male champions of change and the work that they do. Um, I was looking this morning at the um, Workplace Gender Equality Agency, I think it is, that they have something called, um, like a, it's like a pay equity pledge mm. with CEOs of organisations. And, and I went through the list of them and it's like 95% men yeah. pledge to look at those issues within mm. their organisations. I think what men can do is bring consciousness um, and ask themselves questions that they mm. may not have asked before. Mm. I think we can all do that. I yeah. think we all should be doing that, mm. not just men, women as well, because women have as many unconscious biases mm. as men do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've seen, like, uh, you, you know, you, you think that's improved a lot, you, you know, in terms of men's Absolutely. involvement and understanding? Absolutely. I, I think I look at, um, you know, young families now having conversations around career choices and they have that conversation as a family or as a mm. partnership rather than, you know, just sliding into um, roles that perhaps their parents might have mm. slid into that just bringing consciousness to the conversation, having those conversations together, um, men leaning into their families mm-hmm. um, to firstly for their own benefit, secondly for their kids' benefit, but also it that also enables women to lean into their careers. Mm. There's a whole range of things that men can do, but I see it happening yeah. anyway. Yeah. And do you think um, in the Jewish community is it is is you know the issues? Like, is it very similar to the the broader community? Is the Jewish community more progressive? You think, or no, no. <laughs> no. worse, worse, or I think, or I think, I think we're probably a little, um, a little way behind. Mm. I think we're a little way behind where the rest of the community's at. And is that maybe because of the male and women female role, how it's been defined yeah. in religion traditionally? Yeah, I think so. I mm. think, um, but but I want to. I, I suppose I just want to. Um, clarify that it, it's not it's it's a thorny issue because a lot of women themselves um, like myself mm. quite enjoy the balabusterol so mm. to, um, translation for, for your non-Jewish listeners mm. the sort of the, the homemaker the homemaker Jew, yeah. busy Jewish mum yeah um, you know a lot of our members in our Facebook group still you know they have a laugh about still loving putting on a Friday night dinner mm. for their families but it's really hard to do that when you're working full time. Yeah. Um, and so we're caught in that. We're sort of caught in that. Um, mm. I suppose that you know that push pull relationship. Yeah. And that's part of the dynamic conversation that we mm. have within the network, and it's yeah. it's quite a beautiful conversation to have. Mm. There are there are these parts of ourselves. Yeah, because you you, you yeah. can you can be the biggest feminist but still do all the cooking and watching. At home. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean. Um, I, I do see increasingly in the Jewish community more balance in those things, but 
you know, we also, I, I can't as a Jewish woman, woman get away from that part of myself that mm. that loves providing for mm. my family. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a, and that's why, and that goes, this goes right back to what we first started mm. talking about. These are the kinds of things I wanted to talk about mm. um, with other Jewish women, and we're having that conversation, yeah, amongst other conversations. So, in terms of the um, in terms of the the women's network, so do you want to just tell me a little bit about, like, I don't know, you, you you've just formed a board, so there must be a couple of key sort of projects that you're working on. Do you want to maybe you know sure. tell me about one or two of them? Yeah, sure. So, um, and you touched on this earlier. We are. Um, soon going to make an announcement about a panel pledge project mm-hmm. um, where we're going to try and have um, Jewish community organisations just have a think about the composition of their speaking panels mm. at speaking events. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, again, consciousness, consciousness raising and mm. to ask the questions. Um, so recently UIA Victoria has um, just voluntarily um, committed to that, mm. um, which is wonderful. We haven't. Um, that's something that's come about through discussion. Yeah. Um, and and we've sort of picked up on that, and we are putting some thinking around um, approaching Jewish community organisations mm. at the moment to have a think about how mm. what the composition of their speaking panels are. So that's one thing. We're and, and was that part of that also um, creating a like a panel of female of women who you know, we'd be happy to speak at these different things. Was that part of that? Um, or? Related. So I think, um, and I certainly don't want to be putting words in any other organisation's mouths, but yeah. I think National Council of Jewish Women are hoping to maybe pull together a list of um, speak females who can speak on panels. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are, people can also come to the Jewish Professional Women's Network and yeah. ask us who we would recommend. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, there are lots, lots and lots of amazing, capable women in mm. the Jewish community mm. who are amply qualified mm. and have deep expertise who can speak on panels yeah. at community events. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also, uh, we're, we're sort of in a phase, I suppose, at the moment, you know, developing our website and mm. strategic planning. Um, and we've also surveyed our members to see what they want. And mm. interestingly, I think we're seeing um, that a lot of our members want to know more about financial literacy. Mm. Um, so they're experts in their fields, but they mm. also want to be able to um, lean in, lean into that part of their personal administrative lives, I suppose, mm. and not cede that necessarily to men. Yeah, 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 yeah. which I think is great. So, yeah. so we might, we're probably going to do something around that as yeah. well. Yeah, that's um, that's a fantastic idea, and actually, yeah, I've probably got a few ideas for yeah, you as well, well about that. I'd love to um, hear them. But yeah, it's definitely it is an issue. Actually, and it's actually, um, you know, in my role as a financial planner, it's it's it, it can be tricky because often, you know, when you're giving advice, it ends up, you know, you might have the both partners in together, and then it defaults just to being the. Uh, the male, yeah, and it's and it, it, and I sort of know it's a bit problematic. I mean, on one hand, you can say, well, you know, there is division of you know duties, whatever way in families. In, so, in some cases, the female will be the main mover, yeah. although it's most of the time it's the male. So yeah, it's up to any couple to decide who's the um, the main mover. But it's also I do sometimes feel a bit of discomfort because I'm not a hundred percent sure that the spouse is is on board with it, and yeah. I'm definitely much much more comfortable when they both come in together. Yeah, but you know, how do you force it? You, you know, if that's the way they do it, it's the way they do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's sort yeah. of the, the sort of like the, you know, the the horse is bolted in those scenarios. Mm. But we can change things probably for mm. a generation going forward. Yeah. Um, and the, but there's a what you know what we're seeing is there's a real appetite though to to get that kind of equity at least even, mm. even within personal relationships. And 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 I want to sort of just emphasise one thing, if I can, Ribbon, and that is that not all of our members are partnered mm. and not all of our members have kids. Of course, um, and, yeah. and, and we're very yeah. conscious of the fact, um, we're, we're conscious of those facts. Mm. That, that the real key focus for us is Jewish women who are... Um, who want to identify with that part of themselves that mm. um, is related to their careers... Mm. Just seeing that side of themselves rather than just the the traditional side, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And any other sort of projects that you that you're working on that you want to let us know about? Um, we're having a planning day coming up, so oh, we're going to cool. have a lot more to announce after that. Um, 
But I can I can tell you about some of the things we have done yeah. recently. So we held a management masterclass where yeah. we had Georgia Samuel, Harriet Warlow, Shillon, Maya Zerman, and um, actually Zandi Fell was the moderator, and I know she's been on your yeah. show before. Yeah. Um, and that was a, a management masterclass. So talking about management in three different, um, com- three completely different uh, areas, industries, I suppose. And the whole focus of the night was on skills and sharing wisdom. Mm. And at no point did did really was there a focus on, and how does she balance it with family? <laughs> right, and in fact, right. one of our speakers didn't have kids. Right, um, and right. really, we were just showcasing yeah. these three amazing, yeah. four amazing women um, and talking about management mm. as opposed to talking about challah baking yeah. or talking about, you know, yeah. it is, it is, caring it, for other women yeah. or caring for, you know, the less advantaged in the community. Yeah, it's a good point because when you often think about it, you think it's all about, oh, yes, how can you have every, how can you have your career in men? But it's really, it's not just, it's not about that. Not always, no. Yeah, it's not necessarily about that. Okay, well, look, we're coming towards the end of the show, but uh, time's gone very quick. But I always do ask my uh, my guests for their top three tips. So I think in your case, uh, based on what we've discussed today, what are your uh, top three tips for women in managing their career? Um, I think the first is run your own race. So, and this comes back to, you know, what we touched on about women who do take time out to have families. Mm. I think it applies equally to men because, you know, hopefully in time more men will um, take time off mm. to raise their kids as well. Yep. But just run your own race. You do not have to get to where your male counterpart is. Mm. So if you started off in your graduate year mm. with 10 men and they've all sort of, you know, raced off into the distance um, and achieving things that you can't possibly achieve because you took some time out, that's okay because you're running your own race. So mm. really stay focused on that because it can depress you mm. when you see um, someone reaching, say, senior associate level when you may only be your associate. But you've done this amazing thing of taking time out to be mm. with your kids. As I say, this can apply equally to men. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I would say is find a sponsor. So um, more than a mentor, someone to really champion your career. Again, this mm. can apply equally to men. Um, it's not that easy to necessarily find someone to really champion your career but if you can find someone who will be your advocate latch on to that person and also then in turn be that for someone else Mm. um that's actually in my professional life has made a huge difference Mm. i have someone who has championed my career Mm. and he uh, he has been invaluable to me Mm. um yeah but be that to someone else and Mm. the third thing is be brave Mm. be brave back yourself Take it. Take a leap of faith. Um, you got this. You mm. know, just you got it. <laughs> All right, Gabby. Look, thanks very much uh, for coming on today. Thanks I said for to you before. Um, yeah, it'd be great to have you know from time to time other people from within your network. 